Judy. Okay. And his guest today? Yo, yo. <laughs> it's Nate. <laughs> Nate Calder in the studio with you today. Yes. We, we're going to be having a conversation on addiction and what it means to our realities and our lives in general. <laughs> so, Nate, what can you start us off with on addiction? I think addiction is a part of everyone's life. It comes down to the definition. So, I mean, we can look at it from a million different ways, but it's important that we first figure out exactly what it means to us in this conversation, for sure. Mm. Yeah, um, I feel like addiction is like a, a, a go-to fix. Extremely generalizing, but an addiction could be anything to me. Yeah, it's it's not it's not specific. It's unique to the individual, mm. and I think it, I, I guess the question that you're after and what you you want to figure out is what what is the difference between doing something you like and being addicted to it? Because everyone does things that they like, and it's part of our life. It's part of our life to be motivated to do these things rather than the things we don't want to do. That's natural. Everyone spends their time maximizing outcomes for their self to create an environment they want to be in with all the tangible things whether it's mcdonald's you know shoes makeup mm. everyone needs things to get through the day and fit into whether it be an identity or a mindset everyone has their own base that they need to get into so i think as you said, it could be anything. It's not specific. Being addicted to something isn't specific. Being addicted to something is overusing something. And overuse is the absolute key word there because what is too much of any one thing? And it's, it's always that classic question of like, life in moderation is a, a life better lived, right? Because too much of one thing will kill you, and if you, I don't know. Well, I get it, but the, <clears throat> I think I get the, the issue comes um, where you try to constitute, like you, you try to decide what constitutes moderation, where you draw the line, you know? Mm -hmm. Like when you're hungry, you want to go to McDonald's to get food, you know, and you do that, say, on a daily basis, that's fairly regular, and that serves as like a fix for you feeling hungry, mm -hmm. fine. But where does um, where do you become addicted to McDonald's? Like if you go on a daily basis, some people think that's okay. I think that's addiction. If you actually go to McDonald's to get food every day, I think you're addicted. Are you but get hurt? in their for their point of view and to other people's point of view, that's perfectly fine. They're not addicted. They're just you know fixing something they feel um, is. Fulfilling a basic need. Fulfilling a basic need. Mm -hmm. you know? But um, I guess the line is different to me and different for other people i guess i'm trying to ask like what where is it where is it that addiction becomes a bad thing and mm -hmm. in my opinion i think as humans we need to live a diverse multifaceted life in order to live a healthy and happy one i mean there's seven research dimensions of wellness and they're emotional physical occupational environmental altruistic needs that we need to fill but i think addiction becomes a bad thing when we start f when we when we take up other aspects of our life to fill that particular need 
So for example, say McDonald's is, is the addiction and I need McDonald's every day. It's not that I'm using it to fill a need. I'm not, I'm not using McDonald's to just simply get my nutrition for the day. I need to have it because otherwise I won't be emotionally happy. I won't be physically able to, to, to get out. I won't altruistically be in the proper mindset to help people. Then I think that that becomes an addiction. But if I'm what some people might call a functioning addict, where I still manage the different aspects of my wellness, but belong to my addiction, then I don't think it's a harmful thing. I think one could just as easily argue that person, if you took it away from them, wouldn't be able to fill those other needs. So for example, think of a, uh, a monk who needs to be blitzed out of his mind on heroin to be able to make these metaphorical realizations and spiritual connections. If he didn't have the heroin, he wouldn't make those connections. So. So is it, an is it an addiction in that sense that he needs the heroin to, to get those things? Or is that just a part of his routine, much like somebody putting on makeup or, or shaving and, and, and preparing themselves the right way to make the proper decisions for their occupation or for their life? So I guess the goal is always relative, right? So you, you go to McDonald's and your, your goal is satisfaction. You, you gotta get rid of that hunger and also satisfy your taste buds because you're craving McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And for that monk, it's um, being able to have new insights and share them. That's what satisfies him. That's why um, he needs his um, opium hits often. So I guess if whatever you think your goal is, you're not achieving it anymore because you're not doing that thing which you kept a routine with, mm -hmm and it really bugs you that you're not achieving it and you really want to achieve it, then I guess that might... It could be considered an addiction. If, if there's any... if the, We all have a specific ideal for ourselves. We all want to achieve certain things be before we die. We all want to, to do certain things, see certain things, be certain things, act certain ways before we die. But if any one thing gets in the way of accomplishing those things, whilst at the same time we are still rationalizing that it's it's okay and we're slowly marginalizing ourselves away from the ideal life that we wanted in exchange for the consistent deliverance of this one thing that we're addicted to then absolutely that's an addiction it's a bad thing that's harming your life because you're not achieving your not destiny because you're creating it it's it's getting in the way of you and that's that's changing you that's interesting. You bring that up just when I'm thinking um, about how in most people's mindsets, they like to restrict addictions to having to do with substances. But addictions can also like apply to ideology and um, personal belief. Yeah. Books. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, a, it's technically a substance. You don't consume it, but people like oh that author is amazing and you keep reading his stuff because it, it does satisfy something and it does make you feel like you're on a path and it's it's the same dynamic even you can say the same about some religions i'm not putting down any religions here i'm just saying um that spiritual satisfaction that comfort you get from it is also could be said to be a goal that you are um that you keep within reach by being addicted to said religion, any religion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's 
you raise a very good example in the fact that it's not specific to substance and any person if they were to read the entire universe of literature and every book that's ever existed they'd find a large volume that supports their own personal beliefs and so for example somebody who maybe thinks um, about Aryan ideals and stuff they get their hands on a book like Mein Kampf and all of a sudden their behaviors are rationalized and somebody else has supported them and then this book becomes their Bible and they're addicted to it because it it does fit and it allows them to be the person that they've idealized philosophically we could argue that they're still not being like a bad person there's that book is not an addiction that's an addiction that's helping them achieve their ideal but the point being that if any person if any person can find something that supports their own beliefs in literature they could easily become addicted to it and use it as a tool to back themselves and, and make poor choices much like through history religions being used to murder people and and, and cause genocide and extinction of, of certain species and races right so uh, absolutely yeah i mean yeah, i think it, it comes back down to um the user right because mm -hmm. i guess the, the example you just used right now the um <laughs> the mind camp enthusiast mm -hmm. <laughs> could literally just be interested in the theory but live life as just a normal person in society, not really be racist, mm -hmm. <laughs> like Mein Kampf would encourage you to be. Yeah. Um, but he just might be interested in it and really like it, and it might satisfy something in him. So he might go up and he might feel glad that there is someone out there in history that's giving him a thumbs up <laughs> for following this path, and he might it might reinforce that thing in him, and he might follow it. But he might he may not express it mm -hmm. uh, in real life. So it comes down to, I think, these things we're addicted to as tools that are misused. Mm -hmm. They're all, even McDonald's, the mm -hmm. food you get, it's a tool that provides you with sustenance mm -hmm. and, you know, energy. It, it's food, it tastes good, but it's always a tool to keep you alive. Or say language is a tool to communicate. The religion, it's a tool to um, sort of identify spiritually with your yeah. yourself and your Absolutely. surroundings. It's a tool, but it can be misused, right? So, I guess these tools become addictions when they show signs of misuse. Do you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And I, I, I would 100% agree with that uh, in the sense that it's, it's kind of what we've been touching on this whole time, that everyone has tools to get them through the day and put themselves in that ideal spot, you know, that mm -hmm. positive mindset, whatever it is. And whether that's a good tool or a bad tool in the sense that it's healthy for you, being cocaine or exercise, I need the exercise to get ready for the day or I need the cocaine in order to get into the mindset for my job, car salesman, whatever it is, <laughs> different, the tools hold different health benefits. Yeah. And that's not the question here. It's whether that tool helps that person achieve their ideal. And so as long as the tools help someone achieve their ideal it's a it's a positive thing but once it is still an essential to it once that tool if the tool is still essential 
to the to the human's life that's fine but it's when that tool basically takes away from that person's ideal but they still feel it's an essential or they still view it as an essential um, part of their life and that's why often in intervent you see interventions to help these people because that person doesn't see it it's, it's the people who are around them that can see you're not being who you really are you need help here you know whether you're addicted to video games and you're wasting 18 hours a day you need help here okay that's interesting first of all i like how you associated cocaine with car salesman i don't know why but i like it and <laughs> it's a thing it happens <laughs> and also it's if that person starts to drift from their ideal because they're addicted because it's become something else doesn't it mean that their ideal has changed to simply wanting to satisfy that temporary very shallow desire right exactly. it, the ideal, so someone else has to come tell them but is it someone else's place to tell you what your personal goals are because people's views change people, people's goals change mm-hmm. and if that person's life goals have changed and it looks negative to everyone seeing it from the outside but inside that person all they want is just that fix yes right yes. and they just want to get it and mm-hmm. that's that's their frame of perceiving things from an outside point of view I think that's unhealthy yes but then and you want to help them but then aren't you then still interfering with someone's goals aren't you, aren't you trying to shape them I mean it's something you can argue that the what you're trying to shape them into is better you could try to argue that in any way mm-hmm. you can but mm-hmm. you're still subjectively yeah yeah it's still subjective you're, you're still like uh, influencing someone else's life you, do you think that you know you know kind of like do you think that person is actually really free now do you, do you call that freedom if he's not free to be addicted to what he wants to be addicted to and have it define his reality it's it's not freedom but an addict can't be free in any regard because I mean I'm, I was I think we, we an example might help us like clarify what we're talking about uh, in the sense that I remember when I first got into university I read a pamphlet and it was talking about university drinking and it gave some stats all of them were surprising to me one one of them was uh, the average university student drinks once every 90 days knowing how we'd been doing it at that time it would be a lot more than than once every 90 days and so it, it seemed like a weird stat to me and then i looked at what their perspective was on the drinking and they they thought they basically looked at it as students get into university and they, they have their own freedom and there's this social culture to go out and drink and so certain people decide to join this social culture and they drink to fit in then they get into these social crowds and while everyone's inebriated together, you're friendly, you're more loose, you have that liquid confidence. But then the next morning you wake up, you're a little bit blurred from last night, you don't really remember any of the connections you made, and so what do you do next weekend? You go and drink to get that connection again. And this kind of, I think, is pointing out where addiction becomes bad, because that person can go out and make friends. But that tool, the alcohol, has has morphed itself in the individual's perspective as an essential tool to creating that social outcome. When in reality, they're only harming themselves and they're actually making themselves less likely to make friends, right? So it's that, it's that contrast. It's when that individual is unable to see that their tool is actually preventing them from getting 
their desired outcome. It's it, it, it's interesting. That's that's true because you know if if you're if you're not free, you're subject to something. That means that that person is subject to alcohol now. Because then alcohol sort of controls their temperament and the decisions that they would make. Like say you have a midterm and you need to study mm-hmm. and the prudent thing to do is just would be to study all you can and when you're done you would drink but mm-hmm. then alcohol what you just said could influence them to say you know what i'm gonna put <laughs> from sunday 5 p.m onwards to study but before then i'm gonna get wasted yeah it, it's influenced you it's now sort of you're subject to it mm-hmm. and you've become a slave to the alcohol by way of society's influence yeah you're not really free from society because it's it's if you don't go along with what the masses are doing you know how first year was right if you don't go along Mm -hmm. um there's pressure there's psychological pressure on yourself like Mm -hmm. you feel insecure you feel left out you feel like you're not doing something right you know exactly and so like you're you're subject to you're not really free anymore like you, you get what i mean mm-hmm. just because of that you're pressure. left behind you're left behind yeah. you don't have you don't have that door's not open anymore to go out and be the social frivolous uh gregarious person right you have to either you know restrict yourself be studious and hardworking, or you show people i can be fun so that you have the option to do so when you want but it, it is it is abs- and I, I guess to get back to that the question you asked me is that person who's being told by others you can't partake in this substance or you cannot use this tool to take it away from substance uh, you can't wear leather jackets for example um, that person's addicted to leather jackets it's harming your life that you wear leather jackets so you need to stop right now is that person truly a free person at that point no because they don't have the freedom to wear a leather jacket that other person will stop them but the other opposite side is that that individual the addicted individual couldn't be free anyways because even if they did have the access to leather jackets they would need it and so they don't have the option to not have a leather jacket even in access to so therefore either way the individual they're not in control of their decision making and i think that's an essential aspect of addiction because it, it, it goes beyond the, the physical act of doing it and when am I harming my body versus the mentality behind someone's decision making. And if you absolutely need it and you, in the presence of it, could cho- not don't have the ability to choose not to have it, then you're not free from it. And therefore, it owns you and therefore you are addicted to it. Yeah, which is just very odd because like, like what you just said, it just, all this just points to our addictions depending on our on the influence society has on us it, it always goes out to society in mm-hmm. a lot of ways society keeps us addicted you know yeah just, no, okay imagine a society where it was morally acceptable to smoke as much heroin as you wanted mm-hmm. like people don't mind it's not illegal it's not frowned upon or anything you can mm-hmm. smoke as much as you want and you're free to do so mm-hmm. there's no nothing stopping you um they wouldn't call you an addict necessarily Right? Because you're making the choice that they all think is perfectly normal. Mm-hmm. And you're even if you depend on it, you're not seen to be addicted to it. You know? Just because it's accepted in society. Um but then in a society where it's seen negatively to be subject to heroin, you become seen as an addict. So it's sort of like an outside label on you it's a it's a light that shines on you and the shadow it casts 
is what they say absolutely in relation to you no matter what if a man if a if a woman was in the woods and she came across a field of cocoa plants right um or is it coca whatever she, she if if a woman was if a woman lived in isolation she came across a field full of some herb that got her intoxicated and there was no one around her to tell her that she was overusing it and it made her feel great she was oblivious to the side effects of it could she ever become addicted realistically no yeah because there's no one there saying you're using this too much and yeah. so often and she wouldn't say to herself either because it's perfectly okay to her there's 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 absolutely no reason now she's still if she still needs that substance if it's very controlling of her and now she doesn't even leave that field for the rest of her life that might be considered an addiction because it's got some control over her but but it's that looking glass self of society yeah. am i an addict in the eyes of society it's never is this is this addictive behavior yeah. it's is this addictive behavior in the eyes of the society would someone look at me and see me as an addict that's how people define themselves as an addict or not and so the weird outcome of that is you have a lot of people engaging in very very addictive behavior rationalizing it as not because yeah. they belong to certain social groups or they belong to certain parts of society yeah. and then you have other people who over consider their behavior as addictive because they don't have any other relationship point the rest of their friends are clean so somebody might be in a social group where no one drinks nobody um indulges in in any of those behaviors but then the, the, just in relation it, it's out of that yeah. out of that reference point you start to see yourself yeah. as this terrible person and I think it's all about who are who are you looking at yourself in reference to. That's a big factor in determining how one defines themselves. That's that's so true. That's true. I think, um, like in today's mainstream society, I don't know why I use that word a lot. Mainstream, because you have to. You actually have to describe what you mean by mainstream. What <laughs> kind of? But okay, in today's society that people are um, familiar with, if you had someone who is addicted to people's approval deep down inside like he doesn't know he's addicted but he just likes people to like him and think everything he does is okay right and um he just goes around pleasing everyone as just trying to please everyone no matter what no one's going to see him as an addict or a song with a problem because they're all being pleased mm-hmm. it's 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 nice to them like everyone in our society today will like someone who's generally just nice to them always trying to please them always trying to do what you want them to do at that point in time people like that kind of person but it's still like it's an addiction because you're not you're not your actions are being decided by that need to be yeah yeah no yourself anymore you know your behavior is dictated by that need to fulfill that but you won't think about it it won't come up it won't come into your reality because no one has termed you that way and in the way you developed in life, it's not something you would see as being negative. Mm-hmm. It might actually stop you from pursuing your real dreams when you say, you know what, I think I really want to be an actor, but my dad really, really wants me to be an architect. Like, okay, you know what, I'm going to please my dad. And it pleases you that you're pleasing your dad, mm-hmm. but then you're not going after your dreams anymore. 
you're just you know sticking to that oh my gosh my dad's pleased i'm happy <laughs> but it's still like it's still like taking an opium hit and being temporarily satisfied and it like keeping you from doing things that you put that you would rather have actually done because that's you that's what you would go after that you those are your dreams so you I, you're you're raising a very good point and i think what i what i took from that is that something could not be defined as an addiction by society if it was not an antagonist so if something did not disrupt the productivity of said society yeah. then it couldn't be and so for example if alcohol uh, we'll take something that's still illegal so if marijuana was researched if 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 marijuana research showed that people were more productive they were able to manufacture more units of a certain product per hour on marijuana versus not um, they were able to type more words per minute certain operationalizations of, of being productive if it proved positive correlations with that then no one would define somebody who smokes pot heavily as an addict because they're simply engaging in a behavior that makes you more productive. Yeah. But it's the actual common perception by society that marijuana makes you not productive, it makes you tired and lazy, so therefore, people who smoke it all the time are making bad decisions against the productivity of society, this thing is an antagonist to mm -hmm. it, so therefore, that person's an addict. But my whole life, every time someone talks about <laughs> that themselves being addicted to coffee it's like it's like a joke thing it's like man i'm so addicted to coffee i love my coffee <laughs> yeah. ha, 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 ha. and it's not it's just like it's not taken seriously even when they say it because no one actually sees drinking coffee um so much as you know an addiction because it makes you more productive you're normally more of a badass <laughs> <laughs> yeah i really yeah. actually it's like you got tea or you got coffee coffee cool you know because it just yeah, you're a hard-working individual by drinking coffee and showing that at 2 in the afternoon, oh, I've already had three cups, even though that's unhealthy, yeah, that's unbelievable, is. you know? It's true. It's still accepted by everyone else as good. It's people validated. brag about it. I know engineers who, like, when, like, uh, midterm season's on and they're working hard, they, they brag about how much coffee they've had before 3 in the afternoon. Yeah. And I'm just, like, thinking, well, I'm actually impressed because I can't drink that much coffee without crashing. <laughs> but that's not really good for your kidney or liver. No, it's really bad. But it's not an addiction. It's not a bad thing because that's what you know society agrees with. You got to get those good grades and you got to study. That's just the exactly. And so I think the the real question is: Is an addiction something? Is it an individual behavior or is it a societal label? Because what what I've kind of found from our conversation is that. In order for something to actually be an addiction, there needs to be a group of people saying that said person has it. That behavior needs to be bad in some way. It needs to work against the ideals of that person. Mm -hmm. But then, um, I'm losing my point here. Um, jump in. Like you're trying to pretty much um, identify where um, addiction sits as to what what defines it properly yeah exactly and, and exactly and so it's like is an is an addiction something that we find 
is an addiction something that we individually engage in or is it something that conflicts with the ideals of the society we live in i think it's both yeah i think it's like the difference between having a brain and having a mind Mm -hmm. your brain is in your head and it's yours and it's inside you but your mind is the conversation your brain has with the environment it's inside of Mm -hmm. and it, it makes it up because do you really think that your brain would have any imaginations, images, or um, thoughts if you never saw a thing, heard a word, smelled a thing, felt a thing since you were born? Like, you never had any sensory input into your body. Do you really think your brain would be as vibrant as it is? Do you think it would come up with speech, that part of your brain that does speech, and that part of your brain that does music, and the part of your brain that does um like walking and memory and everything like what memory would you have if you never had anything to store right Mm -hmm. like you never had those so your your environment with your brain makes your mind and so i think that's the difference so your mind is addicted because it's in relation um it's it's a relationship between your brain and the environment you're in because you have to know when your goals are not being met anymore because you're the one who sets those goals but society is the one who tells you as well those things that are negative to your mm-hmm. well-being in relation to everything else. Um, they keep you aware. Yeah, they keep you aware. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And so it's like self-awareness. Self-awareness is, is, is very important in, the, in that sense because the most powerful people and the most successful people on earth are those who are self-aware. They don't keep themselves in situations that are harmful to them for very long. They're quick at recognizing that they're there, and they're also very keen at figuring out ways to get to the opposite situation in a way that that benefits themselves or or, or more of a situation that's better for themselves. Um, And so uh, simply just looking at how self-aware is somebody um, to... how, How aware is somebody of the correlation between their actions and their outcomes. And if you can ob- if you can observe in somebody that they are very responsive to their mistakes, they understand certain patterns in their behavior and they make adjustments in order to get there, that's that's using your mind and that's that's really being a part of your environment as well as understanding where you fit into it. Mm-hmm. And so to be, to better yourself, to improve your mind, to improve your soul, you need to be aware of yourself. You need to, the, the, the unobserved life isn't worth living, right? Oh, and so it, it's understanding that, oh, you know, I didn't get what I wanted out of today. That's not a problem. That happens all the time to everybody. But it's, it's like, okay, what can I do differently tomorrow, given that I have a relatively similar day tomorrow? What can I do tomorrow to make it better? And, and getting that done. And I think the difference between somebody who's an addict and somebody who's not an addict, somebody who's not an addict who has that mind, that brain-mind connection, would be able to constantly correct their behavior. They would never get stuck. You would never be able to predict a non-addict's behavior in any way because there's no incentive in their mind other than to achieve the end outcome. So unless that tool helps them achieve that end outcome, they will not become an addict. But then you look at the addict and how they would analyze that situation. They don't have that awareness. They look at themselves and they, they, they convince themselves 
that their behavior isn't as bad. Uh, they reference it against other people's behavior, what the society thinks of themselves, like the looking glass self perspective. Mm. And it's a completely different ability to look at your behavior and say, okay, this maybe uh, by needing to do this specific thing every day, I limit my ability to have a different day. And I put myself into a routine and I, I limit myself to have new experience and therefore my life can't get any better than it already is. Mm. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's just a very different, uh, it's an ambiguous perspective, a big duality that exists. And yeah. I think yeah. a non-addict would, would look at awareness different than an addict. Because addicts are very aware of themselves. Um, people, uh, as as somebody who used to smoke cigarettes, I would always think in in my mind, am I smoking too much? Is this an addictive level of smoking? When the reality is that any level of smoking is an addictive level of smoking. So it's it, it just comes down to defining. And yeah. I mean, when um, people are going through, you know, problems like that in their lives, like problem letting go of something, mm-hmm. where um, this can solve almost any problem in anyone's life, <laughs> I always ask them to know themselves, know yourself. And it's not just a matter of, well, um, thinking about, you know, um, your childhood and your family and where you grew up and what your friends think of you. That's not just it. Like, knowing yourself takes a lot of introspection. That's most of what meditation is or um contemplation as some people like to call it or even prayer or something like it's it's introspection you go into yourself and you connect with your god or Mm -hmm. yourself singularity no like that understanding of yourself which does not come without an understanding of the environment you live in you have to understand because they, they, they they work in connection with each other if your environment changes it's at some level something inside of you changes because but you may not realize it you know we're not always present in all of our mind there's a lot of things happening in our subconscious just imagine when we dream like we make patterns that come out of god knows where (laughs) but like there's stuff we don't have access to and we have to be able to look inside and really understand ourselves and what our tendencies might be because when you disappoint yourself you did something that you would normally not have done and most people never ask themselves why you know why did i do something that i would normally not do (laughs) it's not just like uh it's not just well i wasn't there anymore it's still you 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 did something like no no one took over it was still you and it wasn't just a mistake you understood your thought processes when you were doing that say for example it's um i would think of something common Cheating on your spouse. Cheating on your spouse. Yes, that happens a lot. It happens more than it should. <laughs> it should. Blame Ashley Madison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cheating on your spouse is a very good example of that because it's it's something that was part of you, but you weren't aware. That's why you regret it. If it was something you were aware of and then you actually actively made the choice presently that all of you wants to be with someone else. You wouldn't end up cheating on your spouse. You would actually go up to your spouse and let him know. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, it would be something completely different. Mm-hmm. But then, if a part of yourself that you didn't understand happens to overexpress, and then you go out there, cheat on your spouse, you've just put yourself in a, you just dug a hole for yourself. 
yeah. and you don't have the shovel. Yeah. <laughs> no, because another part of you does. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's interesting. Um so it's just a matter of like understanding it it comes down to addiction too. Like why really do you feel the need to smoke a cigarette? Even though you know at some level inside of you, you shouldn't be smoking a cigarette. You still want to smoke a cigarette because there's something, there's a dynamic inside of you that's functioning that you don't understand. Yeah. Because if you truly understand it, you can actually make a decision that would allow you move on to the next thing. You wouldn't be controlled by the physical chemistry that's going on inside your body. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that comes a lot with also knowing your environment. Like always stay like present-minded and try to understand what's how it's influencing you like under educate yourself constantly how, how is everything influencing you yeah and also too it's uh it's that it's that buddhist perspective that everything should be you should you should have a, a passive perspective with everything because everything should kind of you should you should be aware of your actions and and in relation to the out, outcomes you want to create but if you let things passively go by you you never need to interact with any of it but you choose to and it all interacts with you but you get to see where everything stands in relation to you rather than being stuck in the swamp of of uh stimulation and and, and looking around wondering what, what's really going on yeah 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 that's i think that's why buddhism says a lot about not clinging and it just it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be attached to um, an object that you like or um, someone that you really like that's part of life right to fight it is like trying to um, it's like trying to iron waves to smoothen them out like water you're like there's water in the ocean and you're trying to iron it because you want it to be smoothened out. it's not gonna work you're just gonna rile it up more mm-hmm. right yeah like um, you can't don't fight your nature but you shouldn't you shouldn't hold on to life because you're moving with it yes right it's kind of like a, a stream right and um and you're you you see yourself you're in this stream and it's moving one direction and it's scary because you don't know where it's going and everything around you is moving with it and reflexively what you want to do is hang on to the edge to the side to to cling to the edge and find yourself and then think of what to do next should i you know swim back up the sh- upstream or get off off the stream like you want to collect yourself you want to cling and that's what we're constantly doing like we're reaching out to hold on to the sides but then you have to realize that you you're actually the water <laughs> you're the water and you're moving with the stream and so you you can't cling by nature you can reach out to the side and touch it but you just keep moving with the stream yeah that's that's how it goes it always going always advancing almost by reaching out more you cause more friction for yourself along the bank too yeah yeah you, you're, you're torturing yourself by um redundant action so it, yeah it's such a good metaphor if you were to just let go and go with the flow of life you would find yourself at the end of the stream yeah with, with very little turbulence you see the thing is, is that a lot of people have gone through life and i think they'd always come to very similar epiphanies and they always say it like say 50 or 60 year old they always say it and to younger minds who haven't been through that or sort of seen that side of existence they just think it's a catchy thing to say like just go with the flow man people i'm sure everyone listening to this i've heard that said somewhere 
but it just sounds like something that's nice to say like a, a lot of these things like you know when someone says watch your pride yeah. someone's heard that somewhere or yeah. like yolo yolo has been trivialized so much you only live once <laughs> it's been tri- it's like a party term now but no like this is something that someone who goes through life really understands and tells you that what like the worst thing you can do is regret because yep. it's it's your life it's one life this is your like you regret is is simply amplifying your actions to not achieve what you wanted to that's what regret shows mm-hmm. you everyone has the choice to do whatever they want we're sitting in this booth we could both easily be on a beach we could both easily be wherever we want to but we choose what we want out of our lives hmm. and i'm pretty sure that nate has planted a seed in multiple listeners ears <laughs> I hope so. And that seed, so. that seed will grow into like a lot of thoughts. So um, I really hope people nurture and water that seed. Just, it's not something for you to listen to, it's something for you to think about. So. Take the waves as they hit your boat, people. Thanks for listening. This was Nate and Shitty. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> <laughs>